0: All right, y'all, you can go ahead and start turning over there to Hebrews chapter 11. We've been here a while, going to be here a while. We're taking our time going through chapter 11. We're in verse 31 this morning. I'm going to read that verse, pray for us, and then we'll, we'll get into what God's Word shows us here. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 31. By faith... Rahab, the prostitute, did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. Let's pray. Father, we're going to see some hard things in your word this morning, and we're going to see your sovereign hand working in all of it for your purposes. I pray, Lord, that you would be pleased to use me to communicate clearly what we find everywhere in your word and certainly with regard to Rahab and you saving her that you are a gracious and merciful God who will by no means clear the guilty but who shows steadfast loving kindness to those who love you and keep your commandments that you do not stand far off or turn any away who sincerely and humbly turn away from their sin and turn to you by faith in your son God I pray you'd bless the preaching of your word now this morning may be used by your Holy Spirit to afflict the comfortable, those of us who are too comfortable, that you would comfort the afflicted for your glory and for the purity of your church, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, last week, we looked at the faith of God's people at Jericho. When God told Israel to march around the city once a day for six days and then on the seventh day to march around seven times and blow seven trumpets and then shout and the walls would fall down. And they did. And God did that, remember, to once again prove himself faithful, that he is uh, reliable, that he is worthy of the trust and obedience of his people to increase their faith. Y'all don't worry about Enoch crying. That little boy's just working on his war cry. For the kingdom okay where we find ourselves in short supply of the faith that god requires of us we need only to remind ourselves that god has made promises to his people to be reminded of all the times uh, that he's kept his promises to his people including us times that we can point to in our own lives we're reminded he he showed up All of that helps us to lean on him all the more when our faith does get a little bit wobbly, because it does at times. We remember that the only thing that makes sense, even in those times when we're struggling, when we're doubting, even when we're suffering, is to keep pressing on, to persevere, to pursue Christ. For all the things that we don't know and can't understand, we take the things that we do know and that we do understand and we keep going. That's what God's people did at Jericho when they were facing an insurmountable obstacle. And when they were given what seemed like unreliable instructions, what did seem reliable to them was the God who gave those instructions. There was no way marching around, blowing some trumpets and shouting was going to bring down the strong city of Jericho. But God said he would do it. That's what God said he would do. And so if we want what God wants, it only makes sense that we would do what God says he would do. So that was Jericho, and here this morning we rewind just a little bit to something that happened just before the fall of Jericho. A woman, better yet, a pagan female prostitute who lived in Jericho, who was to be destroyed right along with Jericho and everyone and everything else in it, but who God spared and saved. And before we get into it, because we're going to go over a lot, God giving the land of Canaan to the Israelites meant taking it away from someone else. And his taking it away included wiping them out. Women, children, young, old, everyone, everything and everyone. We can't just gloss over that, you know. People who don't believe the Bible get really heated, particularly about this kind of stuff that they find in the Old Testament. They make God out to be a monster. They call that sort of thing genocide and ethnic cleansing. And people who do believe in the Bible get caught off guard by those kinds of accusations and say things like, well, that was the God of the Old Testament. As if he needed an attitude adjustment. Brothers and sisters, may it never be. God has no need for apology and he makes no apologies. What we need to know and what I hope comes out in the sermon this morning is, as we look at the faith of Rahab is that grace is not merely a New Testament idea. That's the main idea of the sermon this morning to kind of help you frame all of this. And Rahab is a great example of this, that the author of Hebrews sets forth because what he wants his audience to see is here's someone who was not of the people of God, who was made the people of God, and that has only ever happened by grace through faith. Remember, these are Jews who are now Christians. We have to keep that in focus. We have to keep that in the back of our minds as we go through this. I know we've been in the book of Hebrews a long time. And we've been in chapter 11 a long time. But this whole book is written to convince them that the faith that they're wrestling with and questioning is the only faith that can save anyone. They're having trouble counting on Christ, remember, because it's easier counting on all the outward forms of religion that they've practiced in the past. But what the book of Hebrews shows them and us, is that faith has always been required and it's the only thing that's ever saved anyone. And here's the whole point of the author listing all of these names, all of these people we've been taking our time going through in chapter 11. All of these people had that kind of faith. You can have everything else in common with them. Born a Jew, circumcised on the eighth day, keeping the Passover and all the feast days, observing all the dietary restrictions, all of the feasts and the festival days, attending the sacrifices offered at the temple, you can have all of that in common with these people listed and still have nothing to do with them. Because if you don't have the one thing they all had, you are an enemy of God. Devoted to destruction, as Jericho was. And the one thing they all had in common was faith. Without it, you're only as good as everyone who was wiped out with Jericho. With it, you could be saved out of Jericho before it was too late. Forgiven, preserved, and loved by God, your maker. That's what we see in this story about Rahab. Now, before we jump right into Rahab specifically, I think it's really important to just take this opportunity to address a serious difficulty people have when they read about Israel's conquest of Canaan in the Old Testament. It's not a small issue. It's something that has to be taken seriously and that we have to be able to give an answer for and that we shouldn't be trying to apologize uh, for God about, as I mentioned earlier. Those of you that have been uh, at King's Church for a while have probably heard me share the story before about when I was an unbeliever. I I mean, if I didn't hate God before, I really hated him when I started reading the book of Joshua and started reading about how he just commands Israel to wipe out entire groups of people. He says, kill them all, young and old. How could anyone ever serve a God like that, is what I wondered. The question is, what... A God like what? A God like what? If I've imagined a God that would order the slaughter of innocent people, yeah, that that would be a problem. But is that what God is like? Is that who these people were? Innocent? You don't need to turn there, but think back to Genesis 15, where God tells Abram that his descendants that he's promised to him, they're not going to inhabit the land right away. What he says there is that they would come back after four generations. And he says, why there? He says, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. There was a time being allowed. And so if we're, we're going to get fussy with the angry God of the Old Testament we need to first realize this is yet another example of God's patience with sinners and a desire to see people repent and to believe in him. The people who inhabited the land of Canaan were wicked, wicked. The the, the kind of wickedness that we tend to sort of sanitize as we read scripture. I mean scary wicked, rampant Sexual immorality and violence and witchcraft and divination and pagan demonic worship. The question isn't why didn't God why did God destroy them? The question is why did he wait so long? Why did he allow that to to continue for so long? Well, God only allowed that to continue up to a point, and then he brings the descendants of Abram against them as judgment. And he delivers the land over to them. Wipes the people off the land there and gives it to the Israelites. God did do that. He did it. There's no way around it. But why? Why? Because the Israelites were so deserving? Because they were so much better and the Canaanites were so much worse? No. Because first of all, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. He sees your little flag and your little boundary markers, and he doesn't care. He does not live under man's banners and laws. We all live under his. And where the land is sick with the iniquity of the people inhabiting it, he is pleased to bring judgment on them, to rid the land of them, and bring about his purposes in it. So that's the first thing God is God. And the earth is his he has the prerogative to take it away from one people people he made by the way and to give it to another he has the prerogative the second thing is god made a promise so prerogative and promise that's how we look at israel's conquest of canaan where modern people look at that and say that's evil that's genocide that's stealing land from those people god says that land belongs to me so, first of all, do as I please, thank you. And I've made promises to my people that they would be a people and that I would bring redemption for rebel sinners like them through these people. And nothing was going to stop God from doing just that. So, that's the way we have to understand those uncomfortable descriptions of God's people cleaning house in Canaan. It happened. We don't take man's narrative, though, we take God's narrative. And when we do, we see that Israel didn't take Canaan. God gave it to him. And he wanted to be sure both parties understood that he was the one who did it. That's why he did it the way that he did. So no man could take the glory, but that so uh, the glory would be his alone. So that's a little context, okay? And we we take the time to do that because we're brushing up against this stuff. It's over here as we talk about Rahab, and we're not just going to turn a blind eye to it and not not try to understand what's taking place in that situation, you know, the the reality of God's judgment against the Canaanites. What we see when we look at those accounts of what God says is evil being wiped away and the ushering in of what God says is good, we see the gospel, y'all. We see the gospel in that, where the evil is taken away and removed, and the good, the light, the light of the world coming in, chasing out the darkness, comes in That's the gospel. We see the nature of God, that he is holy, that he is just. We see the nature of man, that he is born sinful and rebellious, and we see God will not allow his creation to carry on that way. That's good news. He has provided a way for sinners to be reconciled to himself and for the land to be healed. The Lord Jesus Christ does all of that. He's not come, uh, has he not come to redeem poor rebel sinners like us? Did he not become like us so that he could obey perfectly on our behalf? Did he not die in our place for our disobedience and our rebellion? Was he not raised again from the dead to reverse the curse of death that came on us because of sin and the fall? And has he not ascended into heaven where he rules and reigns, chasing out that darkness until all of his many enemies are made a footstool for his feet? Grace is not merely a New Testament idea. God has been about the business of redemption and bringing about the promise he gave to our first parents all the way back in the garden. So now, we can take a closer look at Rahab and see why her faith was so important that the author of Hebrews mentions her specifically here. If you all please turn to Joshua chapter 2, we're going to pick up with Rahab there. Joshua chapter 2, I'm going to read beginning at verse 1 once you get there. Alright, Joshua chapter two, verse one. And Joshua, the son of Nun, sent two men secretly from Shittim as spies, saying, Go, view the land, especially Jericho. And they went and came into the house of a prostitute whose name was Rahab and lodged there. And it was told to the king of Jericho: Behold, men of Israel have come here tonight to search out the land. As I have dealt kindly with you, you also will deal kindly with my father's house and give me a sure sign that you will save alive my father and mother, my brothers and sisters and all who belong to them, and deliver our lives from death. And the men said to her, Our life for yours, even to death. If you do not tell this business of ours, then when the Lord gives us the land, we will deal kindly and faithfully with you. Now, Let's fast forward just a little bit to when God brings down the walls of Jericho, and, and he sends his people in to wipe out the Canaanites living there, all right? Turn now just a couple pages to Joshua chapter 6, looking at verse 17, all right? They've followed God's instructions at this point about marching around the city seven times, blowing the trumpets, and then Joshua says, shout. For the Lord has given you the city, and the city and all that is within it shall be devoted to the Lord for destruction. Only Rahab the prostitute and all who are with her in her house shall live because she hid the messengers whom we sent. And then he says something about not taking any of the stuff in Jericho for themselves, right? No spoils of war for the Israelites. It's all devoted to destruction, except for a few things, some gold, some silver, some bronze, which is supposed to be set aside as holy to the Lord. We'll come back to that. It continues, though, in verse 20. As soon as the people heard the sound of the trumpet, the people shouted a great shout, and the wall fell down flat so that the people went up into the city, every man straight before him, and they captured the city. Then they devoted all in the city to destruction, both men and women, young and old, oxen, sheep, and donkeys with the edge of the sword. But to the two men who had spied out the land, Joshua said, Go into the prostitute's house and bring out from there the woman and all who belonged to her as you swore to her. So the young men who had been spies went in and brought out Rahab and her father and mother and brothers and all who belonged to her. And they brought all her relatives and put them outside the camp of Israel. And they burned the city with fire and everything in it. Only the silver and gold and vessels of bronze and iron they put into the treasury of the house of the Lord. But Rahab, the prostitute, and her father's household... And all who belong to her, Joshua saved alive. And she has lived in Israel to this day because she hid the messengers whom Joshua sent to spy out Jericho. All right, it's a lot of text, a lot of things that we have to kind of bring, bring in as we look at this. So as we start to break this up here, here's two points that I want for you to keep in mind. Faith, the kind of faith Rahab had and that the author of Hebrews is instructing his audience to have, recognizes first that God is angry with sinners, and I am one. That's the first thing. And the second thing is, God can forgive a sinner like me, and will, if I turn from my sin and come to him in faith. Who says there's no gospel in the Old Testament? Grace is not merely a New Testament idea. It's right there. Rahab acknowledges God as God, acknowledges she is at odds with God, places her faith and trust in him, and God graciously saves her, makes her his own, set her apart, not not as belonging to those who will be destroyed, even though she was. She was part of those people. She was guilty of their crimes. But God marks her out and calls her his own, and she has lived in Israel to this day, chapter 6, verse 25 says, because she hid the messengers whom Joshua sent to spy out, Jericho. And why does Rahab stick her neck out and put her life at risk for these spies? These are foreign enemies invading your country that just like broke in your home. These aren't the good guys if you live in Jericho. These are the bad guys. You've heard about them and now here they are. Invading. Why'd she stick her neck out for them? Look back at chapter 2 again, verse 9. Rahab says, I know that Yahweh has given you the land. She acknowledges the covenantal name of God. That always bears repeating. Because it is always so significant. When you see Lord in all capital letters there, that's a placeholder for the name that God revealed to Moses. Yahweh. I am. That's what Rahab calls God. Not just God, right? They had words for that. A generic word for a deity. Not Lord, not Master, or any of that kind of stuff. The personal name of God that God revealed to man. She doesn't just say, I know your God has given you the land. She says, I know Yahweh has given you the land. People don't know God that way unless God has made himself known that way. Something has happened to Rahab here. God has allowed this immoral, devil-worshipping woman who makes her living defiling her own body to call him by his name. She was not beyond the pale of God's grace. The son of God was born a man to die for wretched sinners like Rahab. And y'all know Rahab is in Jesus' family tree? You realize that? That the God-man was born through her line, that he was one of her descendants? What should, what should that tell us? There is no one too far gone. There is, if you think there is no hope for you, that your sin is somehow just too great for God to overcome by his grace and his mercy, just look back at Rahab. God saved her and her faith was evident. She, she disassociated herself from her own people and threw in her lot with god's people with the israelites stuck her neck out for the spies and again why i know that yahweh has given you the land and that i know in the hebrew that's strong it's i know for certain i know not i think i feel right don't use feel in place of think too much these days well, I just feel like you're not being kind. No, you don't. You think that person's being a jerk. Say what you say, mean what you say, and don't mean, be mean when you say it. You don't feel that way. You think that way. This is a strong think, okay? This is, a, this is a I know. I'm sure of it. I really know. But how can she be so sure when it hadn't even happened, right? We're in chapter 2. Walls don't come down in Jericho until chapter 6. How could she know? She understood that Yahweh said it. And when Yahweh says things, those things happen. That's faith. Verse 11, she says, for the Lord your God, Yahweh, he is God. In the heavens above and on the earth beneath. And anytime you see that kind of language, y'all, in the Old Testament, you need to, what you need to be thinking is everything, okay? The heavens above, the earth beneath, and everything in between. Right, we know that Christ is the Alpha and the Omega, that's A to Z and everything in between. Rahab is getting the picture of who God really is because God has made himself known to her by his grace and she is believing in him through faith. She says, we've heard about all that he did for you already back in Egypt when he dried up the water of the Red Sea. We heard about what happened to the kings of the Amorites who stood in his way. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted. Did you catch that? Our hearts melted. She's saying it's not just her that's seen these things and heard this news. All the townsfolk know it too. Everybody's hearts melted, not just hers. Everyone in Jericho knows something is up with this God of Israel that we all keep hearing about. So God has made his presence known to all of them. So why weren't all of them spared? Well, because not all of them had faith. Not all of them looked to him for deliverance. Not all of them saw that God is angry with sinners and saw themselves as one. Not all of them believed, if they repented of their sin and trusted in him, that they would be saved. Rahab did. She confessed not only that Yahweh was real and that he was mighty, and that he was dangerous, like everyone else saw and observed. She confessed Yahweh was truly God and worthy of her life, her devotion, and her worship. And she acted on her confession. Now, her acting on her confession included lying. She lied to the guys who came to her house looking for the spies, and that creates a little bit of a moral, ethical uh, dilemma in our minds, doesn't it? Isn't lying a sin? Didn't she break the ninth commandment? Well, yeah. We can't really get around that, can we? We we have to be careful to do those. We can't import man's idea of ethics into this and allow situational circumstances to nuance to death what God has made perfectly clear to us in his word, which says lying is a sin. What we can do is recognize that her lie isn't what she's commended for here at all. What she's commended for is her faith. God doesn't condone the sin of her lying. It is not why she earns favor in the first place. So it's really a non-issue. Getting bogged down in that is really to miss the point. Her faith. Her fear of the Lord that caused her to repent of her sin and to trust and hope in him for deliverance is what she's mentioned for in Hebrews 11. You know, look, Rahab, was a, she, was a, she was a pagan Canaanite female and a prostitute. You can't get a whole lot further from belonging to the covenant people of God. Isn't she the least likely candidate to receive favor from God? Isn't God's grace off limits for a person like her? And the answer is no. No, it's not. There are no limits to God's grace for sinners who turn away from their sin and who put their trust and confidence and hope in him, who leave behind their selfish pursuits of self and pursue him by faith. So what's this communicating to, to the author of Hebrews' audience? What's this comi- communicating to us this morning? Here's the deal, okay? They, those first century Christians, this book is for, they, like us, were already identified as belonging to the people of God. They are already on the inside. And what they see and what we should see is the mysterious providence of God and the salvation of a sinner, It should never surprise us. We should always glory and rejoice when we see a sinner come to God. What they see is the mysterious providence of God and the salvation of a sinner. That grace is not merely a New Testament idea. It's only ever been about grace. We should be encouraged by that, but we also need to be warned by that. None of us got here because we deserved it. Every one of us is every bit as disqualified as Rahab was to receive God's favor. But by his grace and his mercy, she was saved. Does it ever happen any other way? Salvation is of the Lord. He saves whom he wills. And in the case of Rahab, he saved someone who was not in covenant with him. She's not an Israelite. And here's something that's interesting if you're aware of sort of the surrounding text. See, this this thing with Rahab happens before Jericho, as we said, and what happens right after Jericho is one who is identified as belonging to God's covenant people is destroyed. You remember that stuff God said about not taking the spoils of Jericho for themselves? I said we'd come back to that. You remember the story of Aachen? That name ring a bell? Well, he couldn't resist grabbing a few souvenirs heading out of Jericho. Before it was burnt, he hid them in his tent and God found him out. God actually withdrew from the army of Israel in the next battle and they were crushed. And God reveals the reason they were crushed is because there was sin in the camp. Aachen's sin. And his whole family were stoned and burned with heaps of stones piled up on them you might think, well, wait a minute, where where, where are we going with this? I thought we were talking about Rahab. We're we're off on a tangent. No, we're not. We are very much talking about Rahab. You know why? Because that is what Rahab and her family had coming. But that's what Achan and his family got. Everyone and everything in Jericho was to be destroyed. But Rahab, a pagan, didn't cling to Jericho. She clung to Yahweh. And Achan, an Israelite, didn't cling to Yahweh, but clung to Jericho and was destroyed with it. Even though he outwardly belonged to the covenant people of God, he proved to be no different than a a pagan from the city of Jericho. He wanted the things of Jericho and became Jericho and was destroyed like Jericho. Rahab wanted the things of God, became Israel by faith, and was blessed like Israel by faith. I think that's got to be entering into the minds of these first century Christians the author of Hebrews is addressing. They know these old stories. They're Jewish. They are Israelites. These are their stories. This is their history. They are the covenant people of God by birth who are now Christians, but there's this hangover, remember, there's this hangover of Judaism in their minds where they think there might be salvation for me back there, you know, by identifying with, with uh, the people of God of old. But what the author shows them is true Israel has over, only ever been those who are joined to God by faith. Achan is a perfect example of someone who thought he was in but was out. And Rahab is a perfect example of someone who was out but was in, and the only difference between them was faith. What the faith of Rahab shows us is no one is so far gone she can't be saved. And no one can presume they're saved just because they put on a smile and sway to the music on Sunday morning. And then go and live like hell the rest of the week, hiding the goodies of Jericho in their tents. God will not be fooled. So the warning for us is, is your heart with him or is your heart with the world and worldly things? So there's an encouragement and a warning. An encouragement and a warning for these first century Christian Hebrews is written to and to us as 21st century Christians that all of God's word is addressed to. Salvation comes by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And if you have been counted among his people, you will hold fast to your confession of faith. You will persevere with his people. You will not be found abandoning them or abandoning Christ. Why? Because all of your unsu- everything that you're unsure about. For everything that you're unsure about and all that you may not know, you at least know what Rahab knew. That God is angry with sinners, and I am one. And that God has given his son to die in the place of sinners like me, and if I believe in him, your faith is counted to you as righteousness. The righteous none of us has and that God requires of all of us that that righteousness is ours by faith in the son and we will be saved we see that here with Rahab grace is not merely a New Testament idea the gospel you believe y'all is the gospel Rahab believed you just have all the details that she didn't Okay, and since we do And since we have all the details that she didn't have, how much more should we cling to Christ and to trust in him to the end? That's the message the author of Hebrews hopes his audience gets. It's the message I hope all of us get this morning, that Jesus alone is the way and the truth and the life, and no one has ever and no one ever will come to the Father any other way but through him. And if you're sure you have come to the Father through him, but you think, man, you know, things just get hard. Sometimes I have doubts. Sometimes I see the way I behave, and and, and it's it's not in accord with what it is that I say that I believe. And you think, could God really love a sinner like me? Look at Rahab. If faith was enough for her to be saved, it's enough for you. She didn't have anything else, did she? If you have believed on the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, rest assured that he who gave you that faith in the first place, he who began that good work in you, will bring it to completion because he is faithful. He has plans for the world for his people and he's bringing people in I want to say this in closing is there anyone or a type of person maybe there's not a name and a face to go with this is there a type of person you would not be excited to see show up on Sunday morning is there a kind of person that if they walked into the sanctuary on Sunday morning you'd be like that's not who we're looking for I don't think they're like us. I don't think they're King's Church material. Repent of that. You have to repent of that, thinking that there's anybody that is outside the pale of God's grace, that anybody is so messy that the Holy Spirit cannot enter and and remove a heart of stone, give them a heart of flesh, and transform them from the inside out for his glory and the good of his church. be careful of that kind of thinking. God is faithful. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that when we read your word, um, difficult things can become more clear to us, that your Holy Spirit illumines the word for us and applies it to our hearts in, in ways maybe sometimes we might not have expected. Helps us to understand it, that we would understand you better, ourselves better, all that you are doing in the world. God, I pray that you would cause us to carry your word deep within us this week. So as we look out at our own circumstances, as we look out on the difficulties we see others face, we would believe this good news of your gospel is true for us and for all those who are far off, that anyone, anywhere, any time, and in any place can receive mercy and forgiveness through faith in Christ our Savior. Lord, I pray you increase the faith of your people so that we would pray to that end and often. And Lord, that you would allow us to see souls among us saved. In Jesus' name, amen.